again. Pastor Deborah here, your teacher and shepherd of the King's International Spiritual Care University. This is class five of the basic courses to learning how to help people in a new way, in a spiritual way, instead of the way of the world. Is everybody here in your seats? Been to the bathroom? You can drink your water, that is no problem. We are currently in a classroom that has been provided for us in the garden. When I talk spiritual things, we're talking to the spirits, the forever people. And they will go back to their physical bodies. And they will relay, hopefully, this information to their souls. And their souls will start getting renewed in some new truths and revelations. Our first video was about finding out, rediscovering, or discovering for the first time that you had a purpose for being born. And that purpose was to help people. Now you can help people in many different ways. They are all valuable. They are all important. I felt called to help people with mental health issues, emotions, feelings, family problems. So I went and got a master's degree, licensed, clinically certified at a national level supported that even though I never really fit in but I knew I was called at an early age to help people some people feel called to be a nurse or a doctor or a dentist or a school teacher or to serve the community they're all valuable there's none of them that are wrong as long as you are helping people to better themselves find healing be restored and find hope and love. The second video had to do with that I had to learn this new way of spiritually helping people from a spiritual viewpoint that I knew nothing about. I had to sit in Sunday school classes. I was challenged by a book called Strong Man. What is his name? And what is his game by the Robertsons, who were Assembly of God ministers, and we were going through the Christian Bible, looking at scriptures, and finding names of strong men. And boy, was I learning that I knew nothing. That is a hard revelation to learn, that you know nothing. And I stayed in it. And then I challenged myself because the denomination I was in did not believe that Christians or really any westernized people who are rational believed in science could have these ancient spiritual things because those only belonged in the realm to ignorant third world countries, people who were superstitious who did not know better. But modern man in his rational, when they went through the age of reasoning, believed more in science, what their microscopes, what their eyes could see, and not behind into this unseen world. So I had to challenge myself on what did I personally believe to be the truth, what I was being told what I had learned in the mental health community, what society, the world, all the religions were saying, was that true? That was my second sort of course. My next course is I had to be taken, once I decided, there was a spiritual realm. There were spiritual things in it. There was a spiritual person inside of here that was having spiritual problems and needed help in a spiritual way. Then I went through the valley of tears and I cried for them. And I had to learn that this person who was going to send me, I had to feel his heart. I had to know his pain. I had to know how much he loved them. 
I hurt and I cried. That was on the, I think, the third video. And I came out, I got anointed to be a spiritual mother. I got a blessing on me that people would come to me in the spirit to talk to me, to hear the words I had to say, never to hurt me or kill me, but to hear what the words that I had to say to them. Then I got an attitude. I became a warrior. And I came out and wrote a poem called Satan, Watch and See. This carrier, this mother of agape love, travel through your kingdom, pull down your walls of defense in people's hearts as the days of old in Jericho when lightning came down and tore your walls down and Joshua could walk right on in. I got an attitude. Still do. You won't know it a lot because I'm quiet a lot. I don't say much. But let me tell you, when I go into battle for spiritual children, I rise up. That was the Valley of Tears. Then the next one that I just got up. Oh dear. I'm trying to remember what it was. I'm looking here at my, my notes I wrote. Let me see real quick. Oh yes. Sorry about that. I'm trying to do a lot of this flying by the seat of my pants. Trying to remember things and flowing without reading. I don't have those boards, you know, those whatever you call. Don't have any script to read. I'm just sort of flying here, sort of coming up. So the last video I just put up, which was video four, was called Eyes to See and Ears to Hear. Not only did I have to have these other things in my life, but my visual eyes, my earthly eyes, and my spiritual eyes had to be open. I had to see behaviors of people. I had to see what was happening. I had to see the hate of these things looking through the eyes of other people. I had to see them moving on people's bodies. I had to see the trembling, the vexing, the tormenting that they were doing. I had to hear their hissing and their growling. They are even talking to me. I got spit on, bitten, shot at. I had to enter into a battle. My trust level had to grow. I had to see and I had to hear. And when I saw these things, my first reaction was, oh, oh, get the straight jacket and take them to the psychiatric hospital, give them drugs and drug them up. It, they were out of control. It was a mental health problem. That's where I first ran, because that's all I knew. I had no understanding at that time, probably 1996 maybe, 97, of what the spiritual things in a person's body could do to the biological body. I didn't know how they could look out the eyes of a human or how they could scramble the words between me and somebody else. I didn't know anything about this super strength that the body could get. I learned that with a 16-year-old girl where six strong, powerful ushers could not hold that girl down on the floor. Okay, I had to see and hear. Now, I got to go through some stuff. Oh, you thought this was it? Are you kidding? It's like going into the military and you in boot camp. Go watch that movie, Officer and a Gentleman. Watch some of the early World War II movies about boot camp. Learn about, you have to go, G.I. Jane with Demi Moore. Then when you get just through boot camp and you're no longer a civilian and you're part of a team. Now my team were angels, power, authority, agape love, and some guy that wasn't even on the planet. I knew how to be under authority. I knew the mission. 
Then you go through specialty training, SWAT training spiritually. You go through how to be a sniper, how to be a spy, how to do investigations. You go through more training. You get specialized. But first, basic training. In the military, you have to go from being, I have a mind of a civilian, being independent, doing whatever you want to, when you want to, and nobody telling you what to do, to being part of a team and under the drill sergeant. You had to learn how to dress, get up early, stay up late, know your weapons, march, be in physical shape. That's how it was spiritually for me. Because I came out of the military, was born into it with my father, I knew about the marching. I knew about the dedication and the missions, the people risking their lives, jumping out of airplanes. I didn't tell everybody, but I took school to learn how to fly an airplane. I never soloed because then I got into scuba diving and I couldn't go up and down at the same time. And so I gave up the airplane, but I almost soloed, took to ground school, wanted to fly. Then I got into scuba diving. All while I'm going through all this. Learned how to jump off a big boat. Go down 80 to 100 feet. Take pictures. I didn't spearfish. I took underwater photography. Won some awards. Blue ribbons for my underwater photography. Traveled to the Caribbean every three or four months. Scuba diving. Went to Roytan off the coast of Honduras. By the way of Belize. By way of Civil War. By way of donkeys. Down into the Caribbean. The Cayman Islands. I was a world traveler, scuba diving. Loved it. Got challenged by sharks, eels. But I did underwater photography. I actually have some of the pictures still in my house. Did what they call macro photography. You had a camera where you would take the uh, coral reefs when they would come out, they're little animals, and you'd have a close-up of that. So I actually was a photographer and I put them into uh, the world's, in that world's fair, the local fair here and won blue ribbons. Did cave diving. Oh yeah, I went into caves here in the state of Florida. That was a specialty training. Going down in black stuff, being hooked up, having extra tanks. I was a cave diver. I went through some stuff. Pull that milkweed away, go down in this blue hole. Go down there, what I do? Look around. Took pictures. Saw fossilized shells. I was a toughie. I was challenging myself. I even went and dove on deep wrecks that were below 100 feet with some big fish. Take a boat, travel all night long to get out there. These guys are got spear guns shooting the big stuff. You know, 50-pound, 60-pound fish. I'm down there with the camera with a 60-year-old man. That's tough. I went cave diving, went around the Caribbean. Loved it. So I had that attitude, you have to have training if you want to do something. You have to put yourself under test. When I had to jump off this big, it was called a Shulamar. I don't know how high we were. I had to look down. My instructor's down there. I'm going under the water to about 60 feet to some shipwreck. Never been it. I had to take deep breaths. And I jumped. I used to be afraid sometimes. I'd have to take the deep breaths and go. So I've had to overcome fear, just like Neil, and unbelief and doubt to learn how to help people in a new way. Now came the test. Early, early on, this is what happened. My family would always go to Canada uh, around 4th of July. They had a cabin up there. And, uh, of course, fireworks were very expensive up there. It's a different monetary system. So husband 
would buy them down here, hide them, sneak them in through the border crossing. When you got there, I never bought them. I never hid them. When you got there, the border guy would ask you, do you have any fireworks, firearms, any contraband? And he would always say no. He was lying. So on this trip, as God is starting to clean me up, get me under law, like I'm in the drill sergeant, get me under authority, so everything he wants to do with me and through me could be done. So here comes 4th of July up in Canada. It's time for the fireworks and the sparklers. My son must have been five, six years old. And I'm getting ready to go outside and they're to do sparklers. They snuck in illegally and the fireworks. Now I never liked the boomers. I never liked the big stuff like that. But some of the other stuff was kind of pretty. Before I could go out, here's what I heard in the script. You cannot go out there and get in any kind of enjoyment out of something that was illegally brought into the country and lied about. You cannot do that and serve what, do what I want you to do. You can have no pleasure, no enjoyment, no matter how pretty it is, when something has been purposely, illegally done, and you can't even look out the window at the sparklers. So, I wanted to help people and have this relationship with this source of agape love more than anything. So I went upstairs to my room, put on some headsets, closed the curtains, and for two and a half hours, I praised and worshiped, I prayed, I did not look out the window, I did not participate in an illegal activity on 4th of July. I could have no pleasure from that. I had to learn a valuable lesson, test. Then the next year, or maybe that same year, I had wanted this close relationship with this source of agape love. I knew I needed it in order to go where I needed to go and do what he wanted me to do. I had to hear him, I had to be like one with him, that there could be no separation, that he would feel free to work through me. I had a lot of examples from that from the Christian Bible, and probably even Muhammad had examples of that. Everybody has examples of that. So I prayed for that closeness, that oneness, so I'm laying in bed, I hear in the spirit again. The spirit say to me, I want to be one with you. And I go, I don't know who you are. I don't know which God you're serving. I ain't letting you in here till you pass a test. What God do you serve? I serve the Lord. I go, that ain't good enough. There's a lot of Lords down here. What Lord do you serve? Who's your king? Who has sent you? And here's what this voice said. I come in the name of the Most High God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who sent his son down here, the word of God, for 33 years to help people, to speak into the darkness, who eventually went to a cross, died on Calvary, rose again on the third day. That is who I'm serving, the Most High God. I go, okay, Spirit, you pass the test. Because that is according to 1 John 1, 4, I believe that's correct. I don't memorize the Bible, I just read it where it says don't believe every spirit that you hear that comes through people that comes uh, that they every imam every religious person don't believe them because they could be lying to you there's a there's a god of this world and there's a god up there there's lords down here there's landlords there's people that own land There's a kingdom of light, a kingdom of darkness. So this thing passed the test that I had to put it to, and we became one. Now I got in trouble later when I didn't do and apply the test 
to it, something happened, I'll tell you, uh, probably in the intermediate level. Then the next test and trial of my faith that I had to take is everybody has to have this. You have to have a personal experience of healing by yourself. So here's what happened. I was on the prayer team at the church. I don't even think I was on the deliverance team yet. And I had uh, worn some kind of heels and twisted my foot. And I had to go, this was maybe like Tuesday. I heard it on a Sunday. It's Tuesday or Wednesday. And I needed to be able to go to church on Friday and do prayer. And I sat down in prayer and I said, Sir, my ankle is swollen. It's red. I can't get my shoe on. I want to go and work with you and work for you. But I can't go if I don't have a healing. So I took my hand and I put it on my ankle. And by faith, what little bit I had, I stepped out and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I could feel the power coming down my arm. Within nanoseconds, everything was healed. And here's what I said, oh, oh this stuff works. It's real. Everybody has to have that. Because your faith cannot grow to do this work unless you have that. You have to have that experience. Got to look at my notes if you don't mind here. Alright. Now comes the hard part. I'm on a team. I've got some kind of anointing I know nothing about. People on the deliverance team were getting jealous of it. When I got in there, the things got agitated. They would get jealous. I could see things they couldn't see. And I had to deal with their jealousy. And I became isolated from them. I wasn't a part of them. So part of my testing and trials was learning how to be alone. When you're on these kind of deliverance teams in a church, we never knew your last name. I might get your name as Bob. That's it. I don't know where you're from, but I knew we only worked with people who were believers in Christ or had just gotten there. We worked with witches who had just gotten saved. We worked with children, women, choir people, evangelists, pastors, pastor's wives, pastor's children. I never knew your last name. I didn't do the interviewing, knew nothing about you. We just had our little book and we started to, and the coordinator had interviewed them. And we got a list of the strong men to work through. And then if I saw you in the sanctuary, the rules were I'm not to speak to you because I'm not to ask you anything like how are you doing since deliverance? I'm not to even acknowledge that you were in there. It was a very private thing. We had ethics and professions. So you had to learn to be alone. Never learn anybody. You never went out to eat with people afterwards. You were isolated uh, on the prayer team. They put the deliverance team person over here and everybody kept their distance. And on the prayer team, how it worked is the normal prayer team people could not, if somebody come up and said, I'm suicidal, they called me. I'm a witch, I'm in Satanism, they call me. They couldn't work with us. I was trained, I was appointed by God and approved by the pastor. I got the hard stuff. They couldn't do it. So you became isolated, a lot of loneliness. You moved in discerning of spirits, anointing. I don't know if they had it. But they didn't apply for the team they could have. I'm over there many times. I didn't get to hear the church service because I'm in the bathroom of the men's bathroom with some man or a young child. I'm out in the parking lot. Somebody that you need to call an ambulance. Psychiatric problems. Saturday night, I never heard anything. I'm over in rooms with a person, two or three other people, calling out the 16, 17 different strongmen for hours. 
very lonely place to be in when you do this. And if you look at most of these people who get into a position of spiritual power, they don't fit with the rest of the people. They hear things, they move in gifts, words of knowledge. I'm sure Muhammad, he didn't quite fit with his people anymore. He had a lot of questions, stayed to himself, he was on a mission to get things done. You don't live a normal life. You don't go to a lot of ball games. You don't participate in normal family life anymore. Now you are a soldier. And sometimes I became like the Navy SEALs, special operations. I went into the darkness by myself, dropped me down in some heavy duty stuff, and I had to survive behind the enemy lines. And that wasn't the normal Christian way of life. I didn't fellowship with people, didn't go out to eat with them, wasn't invited out. I knew too many secrets. I saw too many slithering on the floor, puking. I heard too many stories. I saw the demonics in their life and they did not want anybody to know that I had been with, that they had been with me because they knew what that meant. So you were, you had to pass the test of isolation and loneliness even from the other team members because you don't talk to them. I never was the leader. I never got handed the little piece of paper from the coordinator. I was the one that would just say, in the name of Jesus, I was a foot soldier. Didn't bother me, I was learning. Didn't want to be the leader. Loved the sanctuary and uh, loved working in it and was good at it. I, sometimes it was, I was over 8,000 people, just me and the ushers. And the ushers, the rules were, they were not allowed to say one word out loud, only my voice and my touch, nothing else. And so I got used to working with people. I became a special ops person, living a different life, not talking to family, not talking to husband or child, learning, studying, growing. Test and trials. All right, gonna look at my notes again. I wrote them down, all right? Now I start doing the work of the deliverance team. And in the sanctuary, somebody come to the altar. Here's a test and a trial and fire. And a young lady, she's over 21, comes up and she says she's having some problems. She doesn't know what it is. She tells me she's a Catholic. So I said, look, why don't we just pray that anything, this is out of the strongman book, any spirit of Antichrist, okay, that's coming against you, vexing you, tormenting you, been in your life or something, that it will be gone and leave you alone. She said, that sounds good. So we just prayed that. Well, the next week, she was living with the lady in town. The lady, who's not her mother, not her guardian, sent a letter to the church, to the chaplain, that said, I had spoken against Mother Mary of the Catholic Church. I got called into the chaplain's office and sat in, in the office. And he was asking me, what is going on? Because they were so afraid of any complaints. And I said, this is what I did. So I got in trouble. Then what would happen is jealousy among the other leaders and the youth leaders. Because some of these people wanted to talk to me and have prayer with me. And that made the youth pastor and the youth leaders jealous. Because there was something in me that was not in them. And I had to tell this one precious lady who's trying to protect a Satanist witch who was in the youth department. I said, we're on the same team. I'm not here to take your place. I'm standing up here. I'm not interfering with you. But this young girl loved me so much she, that she wanted to be with me. She wanted me to, she wanted to stand next to me and they didn't like it. So I got in trouble a lot. So I'm in the chaplain's office for many different things. I'd send an email to a multi-generational Satanist who was also, I think, a drummer in a heavy metal music to his email. And it ends up in some lady's email. Now, I'm not, not, not very smart techie. End up in the chaplain's office again. And this mother's complaining. And it came to her. I said, it's, it's not sent to her. I don't know how she got it. 
And they even moved on my route, this lady and her daughter. He said, go a different way. So I was getting in trouble all the time. So then what happened? This fire was coming. I was just doing my job that I didn't know much about. And there were plans to kidnap me after church. But what had happened is some one of the chaplain's son had died and they had canceled the service for a Friday. But the enemy didn't know that. And But they had plans that when I would come out, because I always stayed, the rules were, you stayed if you were in the sanctuary. You stayed in the sanctuary on property until the head usher released you and that everybody was out of the building and off the property. Then you could go. So we always stayed till we got released. A lot of rules, a lot of authority, just like being in the military. You stood your ground, you stood your duty, and you didn't interfere, you didn't say anything about anybody. Then what happened, a lot of the intercessors who would go into intercession, they were in prayer, they were praying for people, and they wanted, they believed they were pulling down strongholds and fighting the enemy, and they wanted to do deliverance, but they weren't allowed to. They weren't on this special team. And all they had to do was apply, but they didn't want to be under this coordinator. And so they went and found something that was called cleansing stream out of a four-square church out of California somewhere. And all the leadership, because well, here's what happened. When I got on the team, uh, after it had been going about a year, the intercessors had, had been put into the sanctuary in special spots to be in prayer during the, the service and stuff. We needed that because we also had witches out there put in prayers. So the intercessors would be there, but what happened was so many of them started manifesting demonic spirits that they had to remove them from the sanctuary and they were ordered. If you're on that team, you're to stay back in another room and you are ordered to go through the deliverance team. So when I got on the team, every intercessor had to come through the deliverance team. Now that is a low blow if you think you're an intercessor and you're interceding and you're praying and you're fighting this warfare. Now you have to go through and you're coming through with me and these, maybe there was 10 of us. Very humiliating. So what happened was these people didn't like that. They wanted to do what we did. They wanted that power and that privilege, but they wouldn't get on the team. And they didn't want to go through the deliverance. I never went through the deliverance team because here's what God did with me. First test and fire. I'm in the sanctuary and I get prayer and I always had a tendency to fall down and fall out and lay down up to about two and a half hours in this presence, whatever it was. And early on, I'm laying in a, my eyes are closed. I can hear everything. I couldn't move. But I was consciously aware of where I was at. And I could also, at the same time, I was spiritually somewhere. I'm laying in a crystal stream, and the water is rushing over me, washing me. And then I see a golden hand and a sponge scrubbing me with light. And then like a beacon of light, the sun, just, you know, you've seen them where they dry you. And I'm going, what's going on? He says, I'm cleaning you up to do the work I've called you to do. That was my deliverance. Never went through it with the team. I knew I was clean. So this cleansing string comes along. And all the leadership. And what happened was the intercessors, there was a group of them. They, they got into this with the chaplain. This was going to be their thing. And they were going to force all the leadership of all the intercessors, the ushers, anybody in leadership, the prayer team was going to go through cleansing strength. Now, I'd already been on the deliverance team for at least two years. I'd already had my deliverance on the floor. But I went. And I sat and I got the book, read the book. And then I'd, after you go through about three or four weeks of this, every Sunday night with these intercessors 
leading, who had not gone through the deliverance, you were invited to come up and have an intercessor pray for you to see if you have anything in you that's not aligned correctly, that's not lined up, that needs to be cast out. So there were some deliverance team people there and they stood up and they said, we're going, I go, you've been on the team for two years. Well, there might be something there. And they go, are you going? I go, no. He cleaned me up before I got on the team. And if I get up and go forward, this is a test. Then I am saying he did not do a full job. That I might, he might have left something behind. And I know that's not true. I've been on the team for two years. I don't manifest any demons. don't have any demons. Or evil spirits or generational stuff. All done. So I can't even stand up and go forward just in case. So I'm sitting on the pew by myself. And everybody else is going forward. And this guy who was the son, I believe of the intercessory coordinator asked me, are you going forward? No, already been through it. You already cleaned me up. If I go forward, I'm calling him a liar. I tried not to offend anybody. They didn't like that. And then the very leader of this, as I'm walking out, she is puking in the bathroom. She's under demonic. And her and I met and she knew that I knew she shouldn't be leading this. But they wanted to the power and authority of deliverance. But they didn't want to be under the coordinator and under the pastor. Tests and trials with fellow people at this church. Not a nice thing to go through. I had to love everybody. Then another trial and fire came. I was working with a young girl and she had grown up in witchcraft parents in it, and I believe she had multiple personalities, sort of ran into some of them. And uh, I told the youth pastor, she was in the youth pastor's group, confidentiality, youth pastor's wife, to deliverance team person, former mental health counselor, hold confidence. I said, I think she has these. Don't tell her, don't tell her mother, but just, you know, be aware of it. She didn't do that. She's a pastor's wife, and she went and told the young girl who told her mother, and all hell broke loose on me. And I get called into the youth pastor's office. Well, how dare I do I said, hey, I didn't break the... Uh, I was doing it in professional ethics, and this youth pastor's wife did not do that. And they actually got the girl on the computer looking up witchcraft for him. So they falsely accused me of something they did. Oh, that sounds familiar even today. But here's what I did. I knew the, what the enemy wanted. I got a card for that youth pastor's wife and said, please forgive me if I have offended you. I've done anything to cause any kind of problem. We are believers will be in heaven. I will not have any separation. Forgive me. Went to the youth pastor, took him a plant and a card, crawled, said, please forgive me if I have offended you, if I have brought any kind of reproach to the youth department for what I said about this young girl. Silence. But it was months later the youth pastor thanked me. That was a trial by fire, learning a lot about fellow believers, people that were on the same team, so I had to learn to keep my mouth shut. Another test, another fire. Okay. Let's see here. I'm having to look at my notes if you don't mind. All right. It be, I became and had to learn, sort of like your Navy SEALs. It, you, you stay quiet. You don't talk about your operations, you don't talk what you're doing, you train, you train, you train, you study, you train, you get the call, you go. And you don't talk about it. I had to learn how to do that. I studied a lot of special ops movies, a lot of Navy SEALs. I learned. I didn't even talk to the people on the team. I had to learn and went through the test of being faithful. I used to get in trouble all the time. 
Why? I don't know. The only one. I'd go to the meeting on Friday nights, and here's what they'd say for a couple months. Uh, we don't want you to do any deliverance work or sit in the uh, for the team in the sanctuary. Just rest and soak up. No work. The chaplain was mad. The coordinator was mad. So I set out. But I went every week to the meeting to be told, did I hate them? No. I just saw that where they were at, and I knew I was anointed and called. I knew I hadn't done anything. Remember, this is all volunteer. I'm not getting paid in any way. But I was faithful. And I didn't get upset. I didn't get offended. I didn't curse them. I kept going. Getting prayer, listening, singing, praising, and worshiping. Let's see what else here. I'm trying to excuse me for looking at my notes here. I had to learn to work with non-believers. I had to work with many denominations. I had to be around people crying and puking and spitting. And I want to tell you one of the tests and trials, and this is how God slowly started to show me this world that I was going to be working in. My very first night doing deliverance with was with a young 16-year-old girl. All I did was hold a ponytail. And she's puking in a garbage can, some black junk I'd never seen, for about an hour and a half. And the coordinator is calling out restraint. I was always with the coordinator. I was watching and learning. Somehow I was always with her. I don't know why. I guess that was how I was supposed to be trained. So what happened was I come home, and it's about 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. I sit down, and I fix something to eat. I look down at my plate piece of chicken or something and I look and here's what I heard it's like I'm up halfway to my ceiling and I'm looking down I go I don't need that I don't need to eat that then that part of me looked at the television that was on I don't watch TV I'm going okay so what I learned is the spirit does not eat earthly food and it does not watch television because when I had been, I didn't think anything was happening in the deliverance session. But I was in the spirit, didn't know it. Come home, I'm still there. And my spirit is very active, and it's telling me, I don't eat that earthly food. I ain't interested in that stuff. I don't watch television. I learned a lot that night. So I had to go through so many tests. Faithfulness, could I go there even though I'm getting in trouble? Would I obey uh, what I'm told? Uh, here's another incident. Um, some people from South Korea came, and they wanted to measure the pastor's wife for a bracelet. And, the, and my words of knowledge kicked in. They go, you can't let her do that. It's got demonic spirits. And she is back in the pastor's lounge. I ain't going back there. Mm -mm. Go find somebody else. But I went, and I got on my knees in front of the pastor's wife and said, you cannot measure that you cannot get it that is demonic I saw things in people I saw things not that I meant to I used to get in trouble with the intercessors all the time because what they thought was that they were praying through and doing fighting was actually demonic so they would go I don't have that you're wrong and I'd get called into the chaplain's office for that so I lived in trouble because of discerning the spirits and stuff I had to be faithful. I had to take it. Didn't get offended. I isolated myself. I saw things through the ushers and the people in the church. Saw people looking at me. That was strange. Then after a while, some of these Satanists, multi-generational, uh, actually showed up in church. They would be in disguise, and I could feel their presence. And then I had some strange activities. People would just come, crawl under the pew, and stand up, little kids, and look at me. Like, what is going on? Because somebody else who could control a physical body wanted to look at closely at me through somebody else's eyes. They were too afraid to come personally. Then I had cases where people I had been talking to on the phone wanted me to pray with them. They may have been in the service. I don't know what they looked like. 
they would come through somebody else's body and they'd come up and say, I'm Isaac from California, would you pray for me? I knew who it was, he was in there. Going, that ain't in the strong man book either. So when I started this happening, I had to get to another book and I was in a deliverance session with a group. They were working with a lady. She grew up in multi-generational Satanism. She had multiple personalities. She had been being seen by a psychiatrist in Baton Rouge. She was a praise and worship leader at a church. They had integrated some of her personalities, but it was going so slow, so they sent them to us to do some work. And um, got in the deliver, and I would just sit on her leg. And somebody said, put some oil on her hand, her insert. I go, what's an insert? Somebody looked at me, you don't know what an insert is? No. Go get the book, He Came to Set the Captives Free by Rebecca Brown. Well, who's that? That wasn't in the classroom, so I went and got it. My whole eyes opened up. Excellent, excellent book. She wrote three or four of them. Whew, that was an eye-opener book. And many other things that were happening. Uh, we would cover the chalkboard up because we were afraid of automatic writing. Uh, we would close the doors, put oil. I actually saw some powerful healing with this young lady uh, who had multiple personalities. And uh, then she would come into town. She, one part would get drunk, the other part didn't. It was very strange. I knew nothing about this, had no training in multiple personalities in the mental health world. That's sort of for the PhDs and the psychiatrists. And I don't think they really believe in those that much, so didn't know much about it, but I learned. And all the while, I'm staying under authority. Here's another, here's a test by fire. I'm standing in the sanctuary, and, and one of the bigwigs come up to me and accused me of coming into the sanctuary early, putting my Bible down or book to save a spot. No, man. The rules were I could come in early, but I had to go to the prayer room. But people were doing that. But I get accused of it. So I got accused of a lot of things. And I had to watch my mouth because I moved into least gifts. could see things and I couldn't say anything. I was working with the choir people, the children of the pastors, the pastors themselves, the evangelists. People were coming from everywhere because there was no place else to go. And a lot of people just wanted to make sure they didn't have anything. A lot of people didn't have anything, but they wanted to make sure. So we had them. And um, so there will be a lot of tests, a lot of trials, a lot of fire. And you have to pass them all, go through them. Because I hadn't really got into ministering to anybody. I'm under authority. I have to go through this, sort of like when the military takes you out and you go do exercises, mock uh, fights, or the fire department does mock drills, or the SWAT team does mock jumping out of helicopters and down buildings. You train, you train, you train. You go back to school, you debrief, you do simulators, you train, you train. So you're just automatic. And you're always training. And you got trainers and teachers and even the special ops, like when we heard about them going doing Osama bin Laden, they trained, they trained, they had mock what the house was going to look like, and they trained, and secrecy, and they trained, and they trained, and they go through every scenario. So when the time comes and the call came, they're well trained. That is what you have to be. You have to be knowledgeable, you have to have tests of your faith, of your love for everybody, you have to be under authority. You have to look at yourself. You have to go through trials of everything. Just like Neo, he had to cut out, but he had to go. He had a lot of doubt. He had a lot of unbelief and fear. He had to go through it. He got, remember in Neo, when he went into the computer program and the lady in the red dress? Remember her? That was created? And what did Morpheus tell him? He said, all these people that are in this program, they are digital images of real people. 
that we want to help and free. But they are still plugged into the program. And they are our enemies. They will defend the program. They will come against you to kill you because they are still plugged in and they are too dependent on the program to let go of it. That's what I ran into. People that are plugged into religion or that there's no demonics or this world is not real or that they went to a Bible school and leadership, they're plugged into a system and they will become your enemies. That is what happened to me. Jealousy is rampant when people are trying to help people. Offenses are flowing. People are afraid that somebody's going to get ahead of them. Neil had to learn, I know you want to help these people. We do too. But they're really our enemies. They're still in bondage. They are still hooked up to this spiritual demonic system, the matrix. And when you get in that world spiritually, they're there. And they will kill you. And they'll fight against you. Because they are still hooked up, bonded to a part of that system. I think on one of the tapes I told you about this... Uh, Bible school teacher said he could not teach anything but error because if he did they whoever they were it's usually called the family will kill you so even though I'm trying to help these people most of them are still hooked up to the matrix so that's why I watch the movie I have to watch a lot of war movies to learn about spies this one case, uh, this was a test and a trial. I wanted to go receive prayer from this lovely, lovely lady. She's an administrator, a secretary in the revival school that opened up in the pastoral care. She's in church. She's a lovely lady, believes in Christ. And she goes and reaches her hand towards me, and all I see is a demon claw there. I go, oops, I don't think you're going to touch me. She had some open doors. Then I had to get to the point, these were some of the tests and the trials, I couldn't even trust people to lay hands on me. And I had to ask who was serving. Because I only wanted the pure stuff. And I'll give you another story, another test and trial. Was that I wanted to have this one of these youth pastors pray for me. I knew him. My son knew him. I waited impatiently while everybody got, and he left. I go, what's going on? Why didn't he pray for me? So, so the next day in church on Sunday, we find out that his family, him and his wife, had been taking his son to Pokemon. And he was in tournaments, and the, God had convicted this young son that that was wrong. I didn't know that, but God knew that the night before, and he wasn't going to let this pastor touch me. Because I would have had this mixture of stuff coming through. And he knew I didn't want that. And he didn't want that for me. So I couldn't even let some people touch me. Then I went through more tests and trials. I would hear the pastor say something. Like, okay, get with somebody when you need prayer. Go find another human being to pray with. Put your faith with. Because you know it says, when two or three are gathered, I'm there with you, and it makes your faith strong. And I said, okay. So I'm taking a walk. I go, sir, i got a question for you. Is that the truth? They tell us to go and call up somebody, get somebody to pray with us when we're having a problem. I said, sir, I travel a lot by myself. I am in hotels by myself. Take walks. I'm in the car by myself. Something very serious could happen, life-threatening, like to me. There is nobody around. What do I do to get the prayer answered? And the Holy Spirit said to me, I'm here. The Word of God is here. That's too. And if you join in with us, that's three of us. I said, 
oh, okay. So I don't have to be dependent on another human being to pray with me. He goes, that's right. You come into agreement with me, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, we be fine. Okay. Here's another test. This is another one of my stories. <clears throat> sort of a test, a trial. We're in church and the pastor says, look, let's all get, God did not tell me to do this. But let's all get in groups of 12. No, I'm sorry. Let me back up. The pastor says, let's all get with our most trusted prayer partner and pray for revival and people and families. Oh, that's good. We need that. And I, and I start watching people, strangers get with strangers, pastors get with other pastors, and I'm going, I thought the most trusted prayer partner for a pastor would be his wife. What are these strangers doing? I said, I'm just going to turn around on the pew and pray with the Holy Spirit because he is the most trusted prayer partner I can trust. So I did that. And after a few minutes, we got up. The same pastor said, look, God didn't tell him to do this, but he thinks it's a good idea. And this is a biblical number, 12. Of course, Israel uh, had 12 boys. Let's all get in groups of 12, hold hands, and pray for marriages and healing and stuff. Because he thought it was a good idea. And I said to myself, if God didn't tell you to do it, I am not doing it because I'm only going to do what I see Jesus doing. Because we had bracelets going around, do what Jesus does. And God didn't tell you to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Somebody came up to me and says, you want to join? I said, no, the Holy Spirit won't. Turned around on the pew again and prayed by myself. And just like that, I went somewhere. All of a sudden, I hear this voice, and it goes, what do you see down there? I'm good. Now, my eyes are closed. My head is on the pew. It goes, sir, I see about two, 3,000 people down there praying to you for healings and marriages and people and the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Muslims and everybody. He goes, I don't hear them. They're not up here with me like you are. I didn't tell that pastor to do this. So that praying is a work of flesh, man-made. I have no responsibility to hear those prayers. I didn't order it, and I don't have to do anything. And I only do what I give the orders to do. I said, but sure, those people down there, two, 3,000 people, are praying so generally out of their heart. He says, I don't hear them. They are following another word. The pastor even told him, I didn't tell him that. I am not obligated to hear their prayer. I'm going, oh no. I was sad that all these people who were had a pure heart were praying for, and prayers going nowhere, brass ceiling. But I learned a thing. A lot of us do things that the pastors, our teachers tell us to do, but it's not of God. And God has no responsibility to hear it, Listen to it. Test, trials, and fire. Whew. Very hard work. But I was learning. I was growing. I was being observant. I was listening. I mean, it was a moment's passing test from the pastors, listening, going to the chaplain's office, dealing with the jealousy. It was hard. There were some times it was fast-paced for three or four days at a time. I didn't think I'd make it. I was exhausted. I was working a job, raising a child, having a family. But I kept going. And I kept going. Kept passing the tests, the trials, the fire that was coming. Little did I know what was to come next. But you can't get to really helping people this way in the spirit without going through your tests and trials having opportunities for your faith to grow opportunities you get in trouble be under authority can't do it 
So just listen to all these, learn. A lot of these stories are on the website in Prayer and Fasting Volume 1. I'm still working on it. Oh, I have so many things to do. I'm multitasking, trying to get up all the stories, audio books, webcams, words of encouragement. It's just me. I have a IT department. It's my son and his wife up in Pittsburgh. It's just, it's rough, but I'm doing it. So enjoy this video, this basic class of test, trials, and fire, number five. You can always get in contact with me at Pastor Deborah at Agape Love is here.org. Go to the website, look at the videos at www.agapeloveishere.org. I just made a post I'm going to put up on LinkedIn. I also put it up on YouTube and words of encouragement for you. I hope to keep going. Been a little tired today. I don't know why, but I get over it, get through it, keep on going. Love you guys. Stay in school. Keep coming. Rest when you can. Learn. Grow. Oh, I see you there. Oh, you got that message. You did? Good. Talking to somebody. It's coming through the camera. Uh, I am quite able to multitask, talk to people. Very sensitive to that world now. Didn't know what it was before. But it's a busy place. Love. Grow. Go to school. Stay under authority, get in a church, get under your imams, learn. We need you out here. The people are hurting. Lots of mental health problems, substance abuse problems, human trafficking. We got people with all kinds of issues. They need help. We need all the help we can get. Love always. Pastor Deborah.